0: Welcome to 30 Brave Minutes, a podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. In 30 Brave Minutes, we'll give you something interesting to think about. I'm Richard Gay, Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, and with me today are Dr. Joanna Hersey and Dr. Ashley Allen. Joining us is Dr. Nam Lee from the Department of Mass Communication. Now get ready for 30 Brave Minutes. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. I remember that you joined the UNCP faculty in the fall of 2021. Could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your work?
1: Hi everyone, I'm nam or you can just call me Nam Lee. I joined the UNCP as an assistant professor in the Department of Communication in the fall of 2021. I have been teaching classes on public relations and theory research classes since then. Um, My research mainly revolves around figuring out the best ways to share health and science information. Um, My goal as a researcher is to make sure people can understand and also trust science, especially when they need to make challenging decisions.
2: That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, I see your research as being very interdisciplinary. When we went to your talk, we were talking about the flyers and how to uh, communicate or how to engender trust um, with these flyers. It was something that really resonated with me as a social psychologist because I, I'm listening to this research and I'm thinking this is something we would do in social psychology as well. So I interested in the extent to which you find collaboration in your research spaces and how easy it is for you to take what you're interested in and collaborate with others.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, so I have always been interested in understanding health issues, focusing on minority groups. So this whole clinical trial recruitment study project started during my PhD. The trouble was the lack of this diverse or representative population in this clinical trials was preventing the medical research. A lot of clinical trials are stopped because they don't have participants, and you can't have the medicines to go out in the market. So we thought, why not investigate how we recruit for this participant? and maybe um, if possible, come up with the strategy by focusing on black participants. So we thought about, we brainstormed on a lot of channels and social media was one of them, but we later decided to focus on the printed flyers because flyers are still one of the most commonly used tool. We planned the study with a few variables like whether a doctor or a previous clinical trial participant made for a better spokesperson. So they could be both effective because doctors have expertise and they are the ones who run the clinical trials. So we thought that maybe doctors could be effective because they are seen as more credible. On the other hand, previous participants are the ones who went through the process and um, they are telling or sharing their narratives. So we thought that that can be also effective too. And also, like I said, we also examined having a racially diverse spokesperson. So white spokesperson or black spokesperson. So in this study, we had four spokespersons. The white doctor, white previous clinical trial participant, black doctor, black participant, and a control condition without any spokesperson photo in the ad. And what we found was pretty interesting so the ads with previous clinical trial participants were more persuasive than those with the doctor's spokesperson and also not only the spokesperson but both white and black participants rated racially mismatched hear messages as more effective so meaning um, participants our participants found the ad and also, the clinical trials in general were more relevant or more important to them when they were promoted by previous participants, especially spoken by a different race. For the white participant, when they see the black previous clinical trial participants, they found it more effective and understood So the findings from the study suggest that maybe um, highlighting the experience might be the best way to connect with some potential participants and encourage future people or future participants to take part in clinical trials. So since then, our research team from Missouri have done other studies on clinical trials, like focusing on rural white men as a participant. And also examine other tools or other channels like Facebook and TikTok. So we, just, we still had some friends when you left. So we ran another study last year.
0: I think this is extremely interesting. I was curious about how the results of your study have similarities to or differences to studies where one is interacting with someone from their own peer group.
1: Yes, yes. So the peer, we define, we conceptualize peer as a previous participant because they are seen as more similar to our study participant. You know, most of people are not medical doctors. So we found that maybe the similarity could be the reason that people found the similar people more effective. Clinical trial is a very complicated issue. It definitely affects your health. Still people think that it is good for society, like altruistic behavior. A lot of things are claimed. Maybe having this similar spokesperson could be effective health communication source in this printed head.
2: I'm just curious about the age of the participants in this study. Was mm-hmm. it a wide
1: range? Do you remember? Yeah. It was a purposive sampling from Qualtrics, and we asked for the general US population. So, okay. I think mean age was probably like 40 something, so, average American were targeted.
2: And your findings? I'm trying to reconcile that, right, with what we understand about representation in these different spaces and the fact that I would assume that seeing someone from your own race would be um, more persuasive than seeing somebody from another race. How do we reconcile that here? Because what it's basically saying is that if you want minority participants, then you need to have... Um, a white person who's been in the study before on, in the ad. Is that right?
1: Yes. So this race mismatch was effective for the peers, not doctors. So the only thing that um, we discussed was maybe because uh, having the racially mismatched race on the ad could possibly have people to feel that they are working the the diverse population and probably left this impression to them. But the least um, effective communication source was a black doctor. So there could be many reasons. But we think that in reality, the black medical doctors are not that many, right? So in reality, representative. So maybe we think that some sort of realistic, but still having the diverse source could be a result of an effective source.
0: I find that your results are fascinating, and I want to learn more about how one might tease this apart to understand the variables a little bit more.
2: And this research was done pre-COVID, right?
1: Yes, it was like 2021 publication, so the research probably done in 2020 or 2019.
2: Yeah, I'm just trying to think about confidence, you know, in medical professionals and how that might have changed and could have impacted, you know, if it had been after the lower ratings for the doctors even um, for those flyers. Very interesting. Well, tell us a little bit about the follow-ups that you're doing. I'm curious. I know Dr. Hersey alluded to the TikTok research.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm still in touch with my research team from Missouri. We are all over the place now, like Nebraska, Arkansas. I'm here in North Carolina, but we meet virtually almost every Friday to work on our studies. So we still, like I said, we still have some research friends and last summer we decided to dive into the world of short form videos on TikTok. I can health professionals using TikTok like medical doctors, registered nurses, nutritionists, and many others sharing their health system Instagram Reels. So my colleagues and I were curious to see if the short form videos could be infected health communication tool. So one of the, our studies from that study that I am going to read is now under review in the Journal of Health communication. And in that study, we found that frequent TikTok users compared to non-frequent TikTok users were more portrayed by the different methods on TikTok. And also they reported higher willingness participate in future clinical trials so it's probably because high tiktok users are more familiar and also comfortable with the platform itself and also they probably have a greater motivation and also not only the motivation but also ability to process tiktok videos compared to not low tiktok users and also in this study, we still had a doctor source versus peer source. Interestingly, in this study, doctor TikTok videos were seen as more credible and participants reported more favorable attitude toward the message. But messages from everyday TikTok users were resulted in higher intention, which is behavior change. So, doctor TikTok videos are good and effective for looking credible and Favorable attitude, but still people reported um, more willingness to participate when they see the everyday tips of users. We think that it might be because um, our study participants can relate to their personal experience, like with the first study. So they have been there, done that, and there's something about that experience of knowledge and the kind of that they have gone through, and that's really valuable. So, maybe doctors are effective till, until some like line, and, but for behavior, intention, peers' direct experiences are more effective. So, they see doctors as experts and explaining the health information, and um, peers or the previous uh, participants are more like their friends, they're sharing their direct experiences. So it's not just about who's more credible, but credibility is a very multi-phase construct to begin with and also have different effects in different health situations too. But also about how their messages fit with what people are looking for. So that was the source part and in the study we also introduced a new variable or new construct for consideration. So the mentioning of the barriers impacting participating in clinical trials, um, what sort of barriers can you think of um, in preventing people from participating?
2: Maybe access and transportation? Yes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even languages that the materials would be
1: in. Yes. So like Dr. Ellen said, many times there are logistic variables like the time, transportation, or the family obligations, like logistics. And also the languages are dif- difficult. So maybe cognitive barriers, so they don't understand the stuff. Or another very significant barrier is the psychological barriers, like I fear. So we thought that the two, bar- two barriers, the logistic barriers and psychological barriers could be the major um, barriers in clinical trial participants. And in, the, in our study, we noticed a trend that participants felt more capable of participating in clinical trials, so self-efficacy, when doctor videos are mentioning logistical barriers. So when doctors are mentioning, hey, I know that you guys don't have much time or thinking of money or whatnot, and when peers mentioning about psychological barriers so when peers are sharing hey i know that you fear that too the participants are likely to focus on practical like logistic barriers when the information comes from a doctor because after all doctors are usually the ones overseeing the clinical trials addressing concerns related to compensation schedule and transport and realistic hurdles. And so, because of their position and trust people can have with medical professions, participants might believe doctors can offer the best guidance to tackle those logistical challenges that so match well. On the other hand, we know that viewers might be more inclined to emotional and psychological barriers when the information comes from a peer because they are like us and they're mentioning the fear that are directly experiencing. That way, people participants feel more capable or self-efficacy in clinical trials. Overall, a series of our studies found that health communicators can use this new platform to engage potential participants, Uh, especially um, the high-tip users are more willing to participate in clinical trials we also focus on TikTok because not, it's very by-size. I think nowadays you can upload up to 10 minutes, but usually TikTok videos are very short and is very easy to be shared as well. And many times a lot of health information or clinical trial recruitment is considered as boring or not relevant. So that we thought that if we could um, come up with the TikTok videos mentioning that thing is good and also a lot of Gen Z um, population who are also the major users of TikTok, uh, we need them to participate too.
2: So Dr. Lee, tell us a little bit about which classes you're teaching here at UNCP and how you can involve students in some of this
1: research. So I've been teaching mostly public relations courses, so Intro to public relations and social media classes, um, public relations case studies, and uh, mass communication theory and research. And I, I really like um, all of the classes so i love sharing my research with my students especially for the theory and research classes because i think it's easier for them to understand any theories mass computers which also i use for my research when i use real life examples for example when we are theorizing or brainstorming for this tiktok study i ask my students about like hi hey, how is this and they actually um found it funny at first, or like not cool, but <laughs> later agree that it could be pretty effective. So I show them my actual experimental stimuli, which are not that bad, it's actually good, I think. My students are media major and they have in-depth knowledge and also they are the direct users. So if possible, I love to involve my students more in my research process, like creating the experimental stimuli. So for this TikTok study, we use like researchers, like our research team members or other um, actors for the creation of the TikTok videos, because we want to have a consistent like age, average age of the doctors, like they were too young to be looked at doctors. But in eventually I would love to have my students to film those TikTok videos or other some sort of experimental stimuli creation because they're really good at it and they are probably better than us.
2: So when you first were talking to them about this and, and they, they weren't into it, do you think that's because they, they assumed that none of us old people know how to do it?
1: Yes, that too. And they think that we're trying too hard to fit in or something. Oh no,
2: yes, yes, we probably are.
1: Yeah, but we we're we, are, we are not that bad, I think. So so later when I they were not sure about the quality, but later when I showed them our streamer like the draft of them, they thought that was pretty good. So we filmed multiple times, like many, many times because yeah.
2: I have sort of a general question. Over your years doing research, getting your PhD, etc., what has most surprised you? Or have you had any results that really um, took you back, you know, and, and you weren't sure what to make of them in a good
1: or bad way? Yes. So when I first started studying and researching health and science, first of all, I thought trust was all about like expertise and competence from my expert. I was focusing on also how we can educate people about health and science matters. But as I studied more into my research, I started to think more about what trust really means. So you see, trust is not just about believing someone knows their stuff, right? So it's about being, being willing to be vulnerable based on what they're saying. Um, agreeing to participate in a clinical trial for a new drug, you've been vulnerable, getting a COVID-19 vaccine, buying a self-driving car, or even deciding to eat GMO chicken or GMO salmon. So these decisions are just about cold hard facts or me educating information to the public because they already know and they already have all the information. So when we trust someone's information, We are not also just weighing the pros and cons of the effects. We also think about how they come across to us. So, for example, do they seem warm and understanding, for example? Do they come across as sincere? Should I believe this person? Is this message engaging? Or sometimes um, funny, like humorous messages are very effective, too. So these factors can be as important as the information itself. So the sources, platform, channel, then everything complex. So and that I believe is both the fun part and also challenging part of the strategic communication.
2: When I'm thinking about your research, I'm thinking that a lot of this ties into you know persuasion research. I mean, there's a lot of this done when we're really looking at print ads and like central routes of processing for persuasion, right? Versus the peripheral ones, and and how you know if you were really invested, then you could try to do the central ones, which would have lots of text, be really information heavy, and those would work and be persuasive for people if it was important information. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how that plays in here because participating in a clinical trial to me is a very important decision. But when I think of TikTok, I literally think of the opposite for that. I think of like the peripheral, you know, the catchy, the quick little dance, the something that's just going to appeal to you in this not like not a deep processing level. And so how does that work here? Like how are you how do you take the TikTok angle and apply it to something that's very serious, right? But gives just enough information to be persuasive.
1: I mean, think of in this short form videos, like you said, because of this unique modality, there are not much variation between central and peripheral cues. You know, like I said that the source as a peripheral cues, usually considered but in this tiktok videos they're like the primary characteristics of the tiktok right so because the source is both visual and audioly present in the video format and also making it challenging for the viewers to ignore or separate from the message content right so it is hard to um distinguish any central element from the peripheral. so consequently the The source's prominence may affect the processing of the central message, central pervasive messages, and leading it to become more impactful than the mere peripheral cues in shaping overall message perception. I
0: would think it would be challenging to get, to get people to engage because you know so often in TikTok you're just flipping through looking for something that really catches your your eye and piques your interest. So I think it might be challenging to uh, get people to stay on your your. TikTok um, presentation long enough to get to the to get to the point. So uh, when you work with the company to help disseminate these um, your uh, surveys and stuff, do you get data on how long somebody stays on your? Um,
1: yes. Source? Yes, of course. So for for the we make people to we make a timer on that TikTok page so that they cannot proceed. We try to see, we try to screen out any people who spend too much time too, because that means that they just probably have the uh, browser open and doing something and come back. And that, so we do see how others have spent the time in that video and also see how the responses are. Is that consistent or are they just putting the 7777 or? They could be just really seven, but we see, we also have some reverse codes mm-hmm. so that we can screen out whether they're being consistent with their responses or not. So, but there are a lot of limitations in online experiments. It's the best when there's like a lab and I can watch the participant and how they're doing. But so. mm-hmm. like, with that, that is another limitation for online studies.
2: We talked about how this came out of your research for your own education. But could we back up to you as a student in your late high school years, how did you know this was where you wanted to have your career? And what made you this science communication or communication in general, did you always know this field was what you wanted to do?
1: I I briefly mentioned about the minority health and like health but uh mental health too but because i also had struggled with food consumption as a you know teenager and also i was studying abroad stress binge eating stuff and i didn't know a lot of people are struggling like for example in my door next to me she was also having some eating issue i didn't know so during my college year, I was interested in um, food system and nutrition and whatnot and health issue. but um, it was my senior year in college that I wanted to do more of some new creative studies, like not just reporting science studies, but wanted to, do something directly that like for example for my thesis study i use infographics because i have some background in graphic design so i wanted to incorporate some sort of creative and visual ways to communicate health information to the public and wanted to test evaluate how effective that could be and at that time i had my PhD advisor. Um, I was taking one of her classes and she said, hey, you can do that in research. And at that time, I didn't know what research was. But we had like four plus one expedited research program. And she said, hey, this is short. And if you don't think research is right, you can always quit because it's one year. So I liked that. So I was continuing research, but. In high school, I don't think I had this idea. I was majoring in like East Asian Studies and Economics for, for my first year in college, so it was not. But I've always liked to use media, and maybe I also was interested in the form of communication because as an international student in America, I always had time, struggle communicating my ideas to someone else. So I have become interested in what is a good communication, what is a communication anyway, and what sort of background, like psychological background, sort of play in the communication process and whatnot. So I'm not a cognitive psychologist, but many theories that I borrow are from cognitive psychology and because I study humans and how they process information.
2: What would you say you are most proud of when you look at your various accomplishments?
1: That would be my thesis paper, master thesis paper. You know, thesis papers are not good usually because it, it is most likely your first ever study that you have completed. But this journey of my master thesis taught me to be resilient and don't give up easily. So, like I said, the study about that was about how infographics can make a difference when reporting about scientific matters compared to just text news. This was early in my career, and the study was rejected many times, and also, I received a lot of not so nice reviewers comments but but I just became I just didn't give up and I kept trying, and guess what? Um, it paid off, and the paper was published in the Public Understanding of Science Journal, which I really wanted to publish. So that felt pretty good. So, and this journey was tiring, but that's what academics are always going through, right? Like, you will not be welcomed at first, like, but you still have to keep trying. I would say that this experience has taught me to be more patient and resilient and just do what i like to do even though the outcomes are not easy
0: that's something that i think many of our students could benefit from learning that that lesson as well so you you're a good role model for our students here at UNCP. <laughs> thank you. And so thank you so much for talking to us today about your research i feel like i learned a lot and you have uh, sparked my curiosity in a number of things, so I think uh, this is uh, an example of where uh, I'm going to keep thinking about the things that we've discussed for uh, a while, and uh, hopefully we'll get to have more conversations about this very interesting research that you're doing.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity again,
2: This podcast was edited and transcribed by Joanna Hersey, and our theme music was composed by
0: Riley Morton. This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only, and is not to be changed, altered, or used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of UNCP or any of of its subsidiary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and Go Braves!